are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, but your uh, timing of the start of this uh, podcast happened just as I was taking another drink of water. So I, <laughs> I, I rushed in, uh, but hopefully it's, uh, it's it worked out. Well, I, I spent I almost... many years as a waiter, so I'm very good at asking how people are doing while they're eating. Yes, or precisely at the right or wrong time, depending yeah. on one's point of view. Yeah. Uh, I think today's show is going to be uh, really cool. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting one. It's uh, not directly a conversation with manufacturing marketers, but with some folks who directly uh, influence, uh, you know, and work with manufacturing marketers every day. Yeah, um, sure. So please introduce so. our guests from Google. Yeah, yeah, a little a little company. Google, you know, uh, we, I suppose we probably don't have to get you guys to explain what your company does, um, unlike many of the guests that we have on so the show. Save us like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so joining us today is Aaron Height, partner lead at Google, and Tarun Rathnam, a head of industry for B2B advertising at Google. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks. Really wonderful to have you on the, on the show today. I, I think our listeners will really benefit from uh, your your insight and expertise, and kind of what you're you're seeing from 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 your point of view uh, of what's happening in uh, in the manufacturing, marketing, and 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 B two B industrial space more broadly. Uh, let's just dive right into it. Uh, I'm wondering what you can tell us about the trends that you're seeing in B two B industrial buying behavior online. Let's just start there. Sounds great, uh, and the answer is. A lot. Uh, a lot is changing, uh, and uh, it has many implications for everyone in that space. I'm going to try and break it down to maybe three major trends that I think are uh, probably most uh, most valuable to your listener base and, and our uh, clients in the B2B world. Uh, the first one is very much around how self-directed uh, B2B buyers are becoming in their research towards the purchase of any uh, industrial manufacturing or B2B product or service. We conducted a study with, uh, with Comscore uh, in 2018 uh, that showed that at this point in time, at least two-thirds of B2B buyers prefer to research online on their own uh, as opposed to needing the assistance or engaging a sales rep in their process. And that in itself is up 13 points year-on-year year from 2017. Um, in our research, uh, overall, we found that at least half of the B2B buyers that do use sales reps um, prefer to opt out uh, entirely throughout the purchase path. Uh, so with digital now coming um, to the fore in B2B, it offers a platform for B2B buyers to do not just their independent research, but get themselves to the point where they can actually make a purchase without having the need to work with uh, a sales rep from uh, the vendor uh, that is uh, in their consideration set. And this has kind of uh, come uh, to bear uh, following what we've seen in B2C. Take the example of auto buyers who are now opting out of dealing with salespeople at dealerships and prefer to go through the buying process completely online and without having to actually work with the classic car salesperson and that experience. Um, 
That's an that's an interesting parallel that uh, I guess I hadn't really thought of in in many ways because I mean, it is often seen as one of the more complex purchases that an individual makes, um, typically guided by a sales professional at some point along the way. Let me just draw this four quadrant diagram. And <laughs> yeah. See where you fit. But but at I'm some point you're you're quite right. That buying behavior has completely shifted. Um, so it's interesting to think of B two B. Um, mirroring that B2C trend. It is true. And and to your point, uh, the engagement, even though buyers may choose to engage with a sales rep, it is never that only point of connection. Uh, and we find that online drives at least 50% of the touch points of uh, direct sales as well. So think about email, filling out forms, chats, phone calls, um, finding locations to go get more information so you can actually see products live or speak to experts. Technology has a role to play and digital has a role to play in all of that. So what's the implication for B2B marketers here? It's just fundamentally you need to have an experience on your website that allows buyers to opt into their own research path, to easily find the information they need and to then choose to engage with someone uh, if they want to, but forcing them into, for example, a lead gen form, um, or gating your pricing where you need to speak to someone to get those answers is only going to frustrate the buyer in, um, in the way that um, they are shifting how they'd like to conduct their purchases. So that's what's happening in, in terms of buyers being more self-directed. Um, somewhat related to that is the fact that mobile is becoming now the primary device through which they are self-directed in their research. So we find that at this point, between 50 and 70% of searches in B2B category are on a mobile versus desktop. And if you look at just e-commerce for, for B2B as a subset of that, mobile site visits on a e-com mobile site are up 22% year on year. But if you look at the same trend on desktop, it's actually down a percent year on year. Fascinating. I'm wondering, what, are you seeing any kind of time of day um, uh changes as well in that i've anecdotally we've seen um instances where b2b buyers are searching on mobile perhaps um in the commute to work or what have you um and then completing um uh, research or conducting further research completing purchases or what have you from the desktop when they arrive but um is that is that in some ways dated now we're just simply seeing a, a shift of mobile across the board regardless of 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 kind of time of day i'm i'm glad you actually mentioned that it if we if i was to say there is a cyclical behavior to how people search it's probably more so in desktop now than it is in mobile um we maybe just don't realize it but we are on our phones so many times uh in intermittent ways during the course of a day yes it's on your commute in yes it's when you first wake up in the morning yes it's in between meetings uh when you're at work um, yes, it's when you are taking a lunch break. Yes, it's in the afternoon when you need a break from whatever you've been staring at for 40 minutes. Uh, and yes, it's on your commute home. Yes, it's after you put your kids to bed. And then yes, it's the last thing you do before you call it a day. So mobile is, um, it is not a kind of time of day, put it this way, applying a time of day strategy to mobile would not be a best practice that I would recommend <laughs> anyone in the advertising world to take. That's fair. That's fair. 
That is really interesting, though, because I mean, for the longest time, the context of how and where you're using your mobile device has kind of driven a number of thoughts around how you might structure a, a site. So if if we don't need to even think about that anymore, because it's just such a prevalent thing. Yeah, of course, just think about your own behavior through a day, not to use self-reference criteria too strongly, but how many times are you sitting looking at a laptop with a phone in your hand? You know? <laughs> That's right. I mean, research has become increasingly more multi-device as well, which makes life a little bit more difficult um, for uh, B2B marketers. And we'll talk about how we think they can deal with that moving forward. Uh, but another point I wanted to make on mobile here also is the the way in which it's ex actually accelerating time to purchase. Um, we just uh, published some joint research with BCG, um, the Boston Consulting Group. Um, part of it points to the fact that um, mobile is actually fast-tracking purchase time by as much as 20%. And it's driving efficiencies in decision-making, enhanced team collaboration on the buyer side, uh, particularly so with complex purchases that are at high price points. So if anything, it's actually going to help you beyond just being able to reach them it might actually drive your buyer to a decision faster this is fascinating to me because it runs completely counter to what the folks at gartner ceb are saying around complex b2b purchases where more people are getting involved in them year over year and when more people get involved the sales cycle gets longer and the propensity not to buy anything goes up uh, so the fact that your research with boston consulting group is showing on those uh, purchases that are at the very least influenced by online behavior, which we know are the majority of them, um, that you're actually seeing an accelerated uh, path to purchase. What what What's the degree of speeding up that we're seeing here? So I, I think your point overall and the point that Gartner make is, is fairly spot on. Like the decision-making process is becoming way more complicated than it used to be. And what maybe we thought as classically a C-suite employee signing off on something and making a decision in isolation is just completely untrue now. Um, millennials now make up 35% of the workforce. 10 years ago, that was just 8%. And they are at least a, a third of B2B influencers today. And three-fourths of those influencers, by the way, are under the age of 45. Um, so with all of that in case... You cannot expect to apply the same um, process to reaching these people as you did the folks that are 45 plus. They are used to consuming information in different ways, and that's what they're going to demand in their B2B buying journeys, or whether they are the ultimate buyer or the influencer. So, look, the, the, uh, the point in terms of the process becoming more complex is 100% true. In many cases, that means it takes longer to make a decision because it is a more complex decision in which more stakeholders have to weigh in and you have to speak to all of those stakeholders. But when you do leverage mobile, you're ultimately improving what is a more challenging problem and making it less slow, so to speak, if that makes sense. And that is very much influenced by who the decision maker now is. Uh, trending much younger with very different buying behavior patterns and research patterns. I think that, uh, that's a fantastic insight. I'd, I'd be curious to kind of go that one step further that you alluded to just a few moments ago in um, exploring how you're suggesting marketers can cater to these trends and begin to change their strategies to reflect what you're seeing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll uh, this is Aaron, I'll take that one. Um, so to kind of 
<clears throat> align with with what Tarun was saying on the B2B buyers being more self-directed um, as one of the kind of major trends we're seeing. There are a few things that are becoming more and more critical for marketers to do uh, to play into this more self-sufficient buyer. Um, and one of the most important is around choice. You know, historically, B2B companies, marketers um, have been quick to throw a lead form or a talk to a salesperson button uh, in front of a purchaser or researcher. Um, what we're seeing is, is offering choice is becoming much more important. So, you know, folks who are ready to, to talk to a salesperson or submit a lead, they can go ahead and do that. But those who are not, those who are kind of still in that research phase, um, offering content to them, offering deeper engagement that helps them along their path to purchase, helps them uncover more information about your, your product or service. With that, um, thinking about the content side of things, you know, it's also important to think about providing a variety of content. So not only are you going to have different types of stakeholders that Tarun was just mentioning from C-suite down to, you know, end user at the company or end buyer at the company, um, you're also going to have people, you know, visiting your digital properties at various points in their own journey, right? So um, understanding how to develop content um, at multiple levels. So for example, business impact level, product attributes down to product implementation and actual product usage, you really need to cover all of those levels. It's kind of the, a content funnel, if you will, um, so that you're not only matching the right content to the right researcher, but also able to match that content to where they are in their kind of research journey. Aaron, um, are there specific types or formats of content that you're seeing that are performing particularly well? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as much as B2B marketers have tried to move away from the, uh, the, 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 the old B2B white paper and uh, general product information, that still works really well. So a, a white paper download, some sort of, you know, pamphlet download that they can print out, have on their desk, desk it's easy to hand around. Um, we're seeing a lot in the video space, uh, obviously, um, you know, not only on a channel like YouTube, for example, uh, lots of research activity happening there and engagement, uh, but also using that content on your website uh, to provide additional engagement. Um, and then all the way, you know, so there's, there's high level uh, content that you can produce from a video perspective all the way down to how to install and, and use the product. Um, so video is a really interesting one and we find it very engaging from a uh, buyer perspective um, and something that we're seeing a lot more B2B brands get better at over time. And are you uh, suggesting in some ways that this trend towards more self-directed research is also similarly driving a trend towards less gated content that this additional content requirement that you're discussing ought to be um, uh, tend to be uh, leaning towards not being gated versus uh, gated lead capture yeah absolutely we are also seeing that that trend more often than not 
folks are moving away from the kind of historical idea of, of I need to protect all my content behind this gates. Um, so especially for things um, like video or more digital related content, it really doesn't make sense anymore to, to put a gate up um, because you can then you know, use data from engagement, from uh, past behaviors on the website to then you know, build a profile of that user and begin to market to them more effectively over time with a more relevant message versus kind of getting in their way and causing some friction by forcing them to you know, give you 10 lines of, of form information before you get their white paper. Yeah, indeed. Or, um, I mean, even when you think about video, I think even sometimes integrating lead capture you know, into the video at a later stage versus mm -hmm. uh, before seeing it. Um, can at least get you part of the way there. I, I find it interesting. It's kind of a, almost a two-stage evolution for a lot of these B2B marketers. I mean, in, in one case, they were gating content to the point of view of just not making it available at all unless you talk to a salesperson. Right. And in some ways, putting it behind a, a, an easy sign-up is, uh, is on-gating it, at least partially. Um, uh, but I, I tend to agree that I think the trend more broadly is... Um, is, is driving towards making more of that free uh, w without uh, having to have the permission asset. Right. And it also goes along really nicely um, with the mobile conversation we're having as well. So gated content on a mobile device is really difficult for people to interact with. Um, you know, filling out a form on a mobile device is still not as easy as it should be. Uh, in addition, reading uh, text on a mobile device is also more difficult than viewing a video, for example. So really easy to access video content works really well on mobile as well um, because it's just easy to consume. Um, so that's something that's that's an interesting trend as well. And this, this uh, <clears throat> I mean, of course, this goes back to our previous campaign to kill the PDF, um, <laughs> where we were trying to get people away from doing white papers in PDF format because they're so impossible to use on mobile right. devices, you know, and, and making them native and of the web. But uh, we were still talking at that point about putting them behind sign up, but just mm -hmm. having them as uh, landing page white papers. Gentlemen, I should tell you to fully close the loop on that, that the biggest change we needed to make to killing the PDF was to introduce a button to save that as a PDF. <laughs> um, uh, so the not the most the successful the demand, campaign in our The history. demand for PDF persists. Right. Um, I, I, I want to jump into how, uh, how, how you're seeing... Uh, different types of uh, advertising supporting this B2B purchase uh, and research process. Um, we, we've discussed uh, uh, some of these trends and, and, and how marketers need to maybe need to recalibrate. Um, can we expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a few things that, uh, that come to mind on that. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the most important is really um, understanding that there are a lot of touch points in this B2B buying journey. Um, some of our research uh, from, from BCG as well, um, something around 50% of B2B buyers are viewing eight plus pieces of content during the purchase process. So really important to understand what types of content your users are most likely or your potential customers are most likely to engage in um, providing high value content 
again, it doesn't need to be of extreme depth at every step of the process, but being able to be helpful, kind of be there, be brief, help them in, along their journey, especially considering, again, the mobile behavior that is a little more fleeting. Uh, it happens quickly. People want to move on to their next task. Um, so engaging customers across channels in that way, understanding that there are quite a few touch points along the way. Um, the second thing that we've been thinking a lot about is storytelling. And, you know, as, as you, you guys probably know, you know, historically, B2B brands, marketers have not always been that great at what we think of as kind of storytelling, if you will. Um, an example of that is, you know, going back to the video point, something along the lines of, of 25 plus percent of B2B researchers are using video and other research uh, channels to kind of discover new brands, new companies they weren't, weren't um, aware of. And we have data that shows that video is much more relevant than a lot of other, we'll call kind of non-search digital media channels. But only 7% of those B2B researchers um, remember seeing ads uh, on the whole, uh, video ads, excuse me. So, I mean, we think, quite honestly, the simple answer, the simple reason is because so many B2B marketers and brands just historically have, have done a really good job at putting effort into their kind of more rational marketing messages. Here's what my product is. Here's what it does. Here's how you can learn more. Give us a lead, right? The missing piece is more of that emotional marketing, emotional content. Um, you know, some of our, our research from, from a couple years back shows that, you know, business decision makers in that B2B purchase journey actually prefer videos that make them laugh or are inspiring or, you know, even feature you know, an industry influencer or celebrity, um, you see more of that happening with brands today that kind of really make that personal connection on an emotional level versus the more rational level. The Cooler Ring is proud to be a media sponsor of the 2019 Manufacturer at Summit Conference, which is being held September 16th to 18th in Chicago, Illinois. Carmen and I will be live on site recording interviews for future episodes of The Cooler Ring. You can save $200 now with the discount code COOLERPARTNERS200 at ManufactureEdSummit.com. That's ManufactureEdSummit.com. Man, that can be a, that can be a really challenging thing for uh, some B2B marketers, and especially in a more industrial category. Um, you know, it, it can be a hard thing for them to sell into an organization that uh, thinks they sell just very, um, you know, well-engineered goods uh, made by smart people for purchased by other engineers in regulated industries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you're quite right. The 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 demand for for storytelling still exists because we're still selling to humans at the end of the day, regardless if it's B to B or B to C, and uh, humans respond to narrative. Uh, uh, regardless of context. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, you know, our, our line on that is, you know, don't, don't think about this person as a B2B researcher. You think about them as a father or a millennial or a fisherman, whatever that might be, um, to begin to understand your customer at a, at a deeper level. 
so that you can connect more effectively uh, before they get to kind of that product information stage. Um, one, one other thing I'll mention on this is um, kind of going back to that buyer's journey. So, you know, obviously, as Tarun was mentioning, digital really does play a critical role. But when you think about um, all of the channels and all of the ways that advertising can support this B2B purchase research process, um, it's important to note that digital can also act as a, a kind of a connective tissue. Um, so knowing that, especially in kind of the industrial space, a lot of B2B advertisers have relied heavily on uh, traditional branding, traditional channels. Um, but we, we do know from some recent research with Deloitte that all of those channels plus digital, um, so folks that are exposed to both digital and traditional were you know, 2x more likely to search for brands, 3.5x more likely to visit the website, and almost 4x more likely to fill out a lead gen form. So understanding where your customer is, the best ways uh, for them to interact with your brand uh, across all channels and even potentially using digital as a connective tissue for those more traditional channels is a really high impact way to continue to kind of reach your customer during that, you know, eight plus con connecting uh, contact points uh, during their purchase process or research process. That's a great point. And of course, I mean, um, uh, digital has a lot more capacity to stay connected in that uh, extended sales cycle as well, um, whereas a lot of the more traditional forms of uh, of, of advertising um, aren't subject to uh, as much frequency. Uh, you can't change up in some ways the message that you're showing at different stages in the process as readily as you can with digital. Absolutely. Uh, the, the last thing I'll mention here, uh, which I think is an important point that we haven't gone too much into yet, is around measurement and understanding your KPIs and objectives as a marketer in this kind of new world, knowing that to your point, it's, it's no longer um, only the download a PDF or email me a PDF uh, conversion, but understanding what we kind of refer to as micro conversions. What are those site activities? What kind of content are they engaging with? Uh, how long did they watch that video on your website? All of these signals, should be baked into your objectives and your KPIs. And over time, you can connect those signals to really understand what your highest value potential customers uh, look like, what sort of content they engage with. So over time, that becomes your conversion. And those signals allow you to not only better communicate with an identified high value prospect, but then also go out into advertising and, and find more of those high value prospects. Yeah, it can certainly help inform um, uh, lead scoring uh, amongst. I mean, it's just it's obvious. Yeah, yeah. Let's dive into any kind uh, of what's around the corner. What are the emerging trends or best practices that you're 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 seeing um, uh, that that perhaps we haven't touched on? Yeah, let me take a stab at that, <clears throat> and hopefully we didn't paint too bleak of a picture with everything that's changing for a B2B marketer, right? There's, um, we talked about the touch points across mobile, desktop, online, offline, the number of devices, the number of stakeholders, the timeline to decision-making. There is a lot that a marketer has to now deal with. 
And if you react to that and you say, okay, great, I'm going to have this multi-touchpoint, multi-platform, multi-message marketing, and you're capturing all the right data um, about all the things that you should, you now have a new problem. You have too much data to deal with. You don't know what to do with it all. So good news is I have a couple of best practices or um, suggestions um, to B2B marketers that I think will be helpful. The first one, um, hopefully now is a fairly obvious answer to the problem of too much data, is uh, machine learning. Uh, to leverage machine learning as your best friend, um, to automate and to learn and to customize and personalize for you. And um, look, with Google, you can do this in varying different ways. Uh, with all the right, uh, right data in our ad platforms, you could do everything from customize um, the message you put in front of a different person, whether that's um, a certain call to action on search. Um, you can literally change the creative of a video dynamically based on um, what you think is most appealing to the person and where they are in your uh, in their journey in terms of making that purchase and being your customer. Um, and then you can also figure out how much to invest in doing that and what is the right acceptable rate of return for your business, which uh, makes all of this uh, ideally a lot simpler for a marketer, uh, a lot more scalable, but also profitable. Um, and so Machine learning is, uh, I think, still coming to the bear when it comes to B2B marketing, but it is going to have a critical role to play in helping marketers be successful. One thing I've found is that, I mean, there's a there's a certain, I mean, not, I'm not supposed to say that there's a limit to it, but I guess, um, how do you address that opportunity uh, for those B2B uh, marketers who, who aren't getting scads of traffic to their website that work in uh, particularly niche industries? Um, is the opportunity in some way less to uh, to automate that and to have basically machine learning come to play? To a certain extent, yes. I think machine learning is only as good as the data you provided, right? And so with better data and over time, the models um, essentially just get smarter and they make better decisions um, and come to better relationships and inferences about who that customer is and what message you should put in front of them. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge, and it's it connects back to what Aaron said just earlier around um, uh, around basically having to broaden our KPIs and our understanding of uh, you know how we measure um, our return on marketing investment. That um, you know, in some ways, we've done it to ourselves as digital marketers when we could give people the exact number of leads and the actual names of the people as a result of our. Uh, efforts, then to step back and say, yeah, but you know what, a, a, a two-minute video view from somebody who's nameless and faceless so far is also a, a good measure. It's interesting. We kind of, I think in some ways as marketers, we kind of we've screwed ourselves a little bit. <laughs> you know, we it kind of feel almost like a bit of a step back. Yeah, but I think you're, I, I think the advice that, uh, that you folks are offering is sound, um, that we need to be getting... Uh, more broad than that and understand that the digital uh, experience that we're creating uh, ought to be measured in a, in a more holistic way. Yeah. 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 I think well said, um, look, there are more thing, more touch points, more interactions, more micro conversions, as Aaron put it, that you should be measuring that perhaps you're not paying attention to. And if you look at that full set of data, you now have a much richer picture of what your customer wants 
uh, and how they behave than you did previously. So there are ways, I think, in addition to all of the data, it's also a skill set challenge, right? We need to change uh, how we apply the tools that we have used yesterday uh, in now the world of a very data-heavy, ML tool-heavy um, uh, marketing world where uh, I think fundamentally you need to be a better data scientist, more comfort with understanding how data is applied uh, with automation to solve challenges at scale um, and offer better user experiences. And so some of our skill set and learning will need to adapt as well in time. Great point. Great point. So I got one more point for you on... Um, on an emerging trend. And this is uh, the coming together of sales and marketing, um, probably uh, applicable to organizations where there are actual sales teams. But essentially what we found, we did research and it found that there is a two thirds increase in closing deals when sales and marketing teams work in closer uh, sync with each other. And it's the age old thing where, you know, a sales team, if they're not making their number, it's because the leads from marketing aren't very good. Um, and uh, marketing isn't performing because the sales team doesn't do a good job of closing the leads that they have. Um, so there is an opportunity to close that loop and be more data-driven on both sides. Once you hand, for example, a lead off to a salesperson, so much happens that could inform your marketing strategy as well. And that too is data that, that can be applied to a machine learning model to, again, offer a better user experience and be more profitable about your marketing practices. So the um, the moniker smarketing, the coming together of sales and marketing is starting to get some momentum in the B2B world now. I think that's uh, it's an important note because if, you know, sometimes we talk about bringing together sales and marketing and it sounds like the benefit is one of basically kumbaya, you know, like it's just harmony is the benefit. And, 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 and I think it's important to really point out that it goes well beyond that, that there's a, strong monetary reason why uh, bringing these two practices closer together is, is critical. And, um, and when you, I think you said two, a two thirds increase in, in closing percentages right. um, after they reach, I'm, I'm guessing that some sort of uh, closeness threshold of sales and marketing. I wouldn't know how that would be measured, but uh, I'm assuming you all do. You measure it that way when you get the Glenn Gary leads, yes, that's, indeed. that's how you know. <laughs> I'm cool. I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to uh, try to close out um, by, I, I think we'd be almost doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't try to um, get some predictions about what's next when we have the folks from Google on the line. So um, what, what are your predictions for B2B research and purchase behavior and uh, how that um, uh, evolves digitally in the next uh, year, five years? I'll let you pick the time horizon. Well, you saved the easy question for the end. Um, I think this is the moment where I say, okay, Google, and, and let the assistant answer the question. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, a couple of thoughts here to offer. So one, I think the catalyst for change, what is going to happen over the next few years, call it five, if you will, is that the workforce will continue to get younger, number one. And two, the number of people continue, uh, contributing to a decision will only continue to go up. Um, so with that, uh, a couple of things change in terms of how I think uh, B2B buying decisions and research will be done. I think, uh, one, buyers are going to be more fickle and less loyal. Um, the switching cost between platforms uh, is just going down. I think 
um, if in anything, data will be the largest switching cost um, to using one versus two solutions that do similar things inside of an enterprise. So there is room for, I'd say, more vendors to go after the same business, but know that your customer will be less loyal to you and you need to keep them engaged, happy, and successful on your platform. So that will require more marketing throughout the life cycle uh, of a B2B um, buyer as well. And then the second thing is like how people will actually make these decisions. I think there is the, the construct of a virtual boardroom or almost um, call it the, the, new, um, the new nine to five uh, where a, a third of the work is going to happen outside of the physical office. Um, most of that is going to be because people are either not co-located or doing work intermittent with when they are doing things for their personal lives. So you are a B2C consumer and a B2B uh, buyer, and it's all very closely intertwined, and there aren't these very clear distinctions between the two, um, which makes it uh, quite challenging. So I think, you know, uh, if you think about um, number of emails even like sent from outside the office, 89 million emails. I don't know if that's a day. I forget what the stat is there, but uh, sent outside the office as opposed to in the office. So a lot of decision making is not happening physically uh, sitting next to someone, but virtually, whether that's through um, chat or through email or through video conferencing solutions as well. Um, so yeah. And, and I think also a lot of the communication will happen digitally. So where in the past, a salesperson would sit down with the buyer and take them out to lunch and do the whole pitch. I think it's going to happen uh, without you having the direct control, because like we talked about, buyers are going to be more self-directed. So they're going to consume your content and that is your sale. And so making sure you have the most relevant, rich, helpful, but easily digestible content out there is going to be key. Um so yeah, those are the main things. And I think things like AR, VR, uh, voice and assistance, as those technologies come to bear in our consumer lives, they will equally come to bear in our business lives because the two uh, are blending so closely now. Yeah, it, people don't wear two different hats. I mean, you're not a different person simply because you just showed up at work five minutes ago. Um, I agree with you. The technology expectations uh, transcend uh, consumer or business categories. For sure. Um, uh, I think this has been a, a fascinating conversation, gentlemen. I thank you for sharing your insights with us today, and and uh, I, w I wish you all the best uh, as uh, as we continue to uh, see how this uh, changing world of B two B research and purchase behavior unfolds. Thank you so much for having us, and uh, we wish the best success to all the B two B marketers out there and your listener base. Take care now. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>